1: I'm Brian Though He's Eddie Garrison with you today on The Fan. I want to welcome in Charlie Goldsmith. Covers the Reds and Bengals for the Cincinnati Inquirer. Man, Charlie, my girl just made me a grilled cheese sandwich with ham and tomato. Do you indulge in such things? I've never had it with the ham and tomato, but I've enjoyed many uh, grilled cheese in my day. You've never gone with ham and tomato. Do you think you might try it sometime soon? I'm interested. You know, I've seen avocado on grilled
0: cheese. I've seen – I'm all for new, fresh ideas, and you're uh, giving me some inspiration here at uh, 1 o'clock on a a Wednesday.
1: Okay, I need inspiration from you. What's something that is off the beaten path a little bit that you would highly recommend food-wise?
0: So while we're on the subject, like, there's a grilled cheese spot in Cincinnati that uses a a glazed donut. So kind of that would be my my off-brand grilled cheese recommendation.
1: (laughs) Grilled cheese sandwich that uses a glazed donut.
0: I like it. We're really, we're really covering the hard-hitting topics here today.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this is important stuff. Okay, uh, we get to the uh, the piddly details of Joe Burrow's contract. You know, grilled cheese and and donuts that takes precedent. But uh, Justin Herbert, he got his new deal. Does this set the bar for Joe Burrow? Do you expect Joe Burrow's deal to exceed it? It sounds like a layup question, but he said that he's prioritizing winning, so do you think Bro's going to have a bigger deal or a smaller deal than Herbert?
0: The bar's already been set. Joe Burrow wasn't you know, thinking all offseason, I've got to make more than Justin Herbert. That wasn't his goal. Um, his goal is to get what he's worth and to set you know, himself up, and then the quarterback's coming up behind him up for, for uh, contracts that, again, are what they're worth with the structure they're looking for. Um, I hear them and the Bengals are making progress on a deal. Um, all indications are very positive, Um, There isn't a deal yet. The the key details in the Herbert contract are kind of how the cap hits are structured and how the guaranteed salary is structured. Those are the really fine points that you probably have to iron out before you complete a borough deal.
1: But I've heard no concern that uh, a deal won't get done. Is there anything you anticipate with the Burrow deal specifically in terms of the amount of guaranteed money, the amount of overall money, uh, the length of the deal, anything like that that you are anticipating what it could look like?
0: So I know one thing for a fact, and it is that Joe Burrow is empowered in this process and has earned the ability in this process to shape the structure of the deal with a lot of free uh, creativity and flexibility, again, because he's earned that. Now for the specifics. Burrow and his camp and the Bengals and their camp have been very, very set on not negotiating in the public. It's something, maybe a lesson from how the Lamar Jackson situation with Baltimore panned out. They have done everything, they have worked together to prevent a similar public negotiating process from coming out with this negotiation. So, you know, if Burrow wants five years or 10, I'm not sure. If he wants this percent guaranteed or that guaranteed, I'm not sure. But I do think this kind of approach is a positive sign for how the process is going.
1: He's Charlie Goldsmith with the Cincinnati Inquirer here with us on the fan today. You look at Tom Brady notoriously leaving some money on the table. Patrick Mahomes, he could be commanding more money. He's not. He's prioritizing winning. We just talked about Joe Burrow, his comments. We'll see if the actions support the comments about leaving maybe a little bit of money on the table, trying to win, trying to build up that roster. Are you surprised, not that it's the norm, but are you surprised that you don't have – a couple more big-name quarterbacks trying to do the same thing. We're not talking about shaving your head bald, but a little bit of a financial haircut to have a better roster and a better chance of winning.
0: So what's interesting is these contracts are so big and so momentous that you can do that without taking less money. So, for example, look at what Justin Herbert did and how they organized the cap hits. So Herbert's cap hit this year is going with this new contract is going to be the same as it was anyway. But his cap it next year is actually going to be $10 million cheaper than what it was originally scheduled to be for Herbert on the fifth-year option. And the expectation is Herbert doing that and structuring the contract in that way um, will help them keep guys like uh, Keenan Allen and Khalil Mack. So, Um, You know, Herbert's contract then picked up on the back end. But Herbert kind of did the Chargers a favor, giving them some added flexibility with how he structured that contract. That's a sacrifice he made to help the whole of the team. Again, the, the total dollar sign at the end of the day is the same, but there are still some things these quarterbacks can do.
1: That's interesting, man. Is that where we get the funky math with the guaranteed money and the potential guaranteed money where it's affecting the salary cap hits the next couple of years?
0: Exactly. Um, there are a million ways you could slice the apple of cap hit versus guaranteed versus rolling guarantees, et cetera. Again, when you're dealing with hundreds of millions of dollars, that buys some wiggle room in terms of how you structure these things. So like if T. Higgins signs a three year, let's say, 70 million dollar contract, there's only going to be a, so much wiggle room within the structure of that contract to move the money around. But because these quarterback contracts are so long and so big, there is more wiggle room to uh, kind of structure these four works tests for the team.
1: So uh, as far as the supporting cast and who will be around Joe Burrow going forward after this season, do you think that the Bengals are going to prioritize T. Higgins? Uh, Certainly Jamar Chase is going to be there. But when you get to that next realm, do you expect T. Higgins to be there for the long haul?
0: Well, let's look at who these people making these decisions are. Owner Mike Brown, who used to be the Bengals' general manager, and he going back to the 80s with Chris Collinsworth and Ken Riley and a long history of Bengals receivers going after them. Uh, T.J. Hushmanzada, Chad Johnson, A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd. The Bengals have a long history of paying multiple receivers at the same time. You look at the coaching staff. Zach Taylor came from a Los Angeles Rams team that had the highest spending for wide receivers ever, uh, led by Cooper Cup. You look at Brian Callahan, he had worked with the Denver Broncos staff with Peyton Manning that had three number one receivers they were paying there. Uh, so these are guys, it's kind of in their DNA to invest in multiple receivers like this. On top of that, T. Higgins, I think, is probably the Bengals' third best player behind Burrow and behind Jamar Chase. And at the end of the day, when you look at what you know the top teams and the top quarterbacks are doing, they're still keeping their superstars. You know, Kansas City still has Kelsey and Chris Jones. But it just so happens that for the Bengals, their next two superstars both play the same position in Chase and then Higgins.
1: When you look at the uh, AFC collectively, where do you think the Bengals stack up now that they have a couple of younger safeties? You lose those guys. But when you're comparing them to the Chiefs and the other top teams, do you think the Bengals have what it takes to take that step forward, get back to the Super Bowl and maybe win it?
0: The safeties are the question. They're excited. There's a lot of good reason to believe in the potential of that group. It won't be as good as they were last year, but the offensive line will be way better. Um, Orlando Brown Jr., their new big-time left tackle, the best lineman has played with in his whole life. They're changing some scheme stuff to take advantage of the new offensive line. The coaching staff has some really bright ideas for getting the offense to the next level. And kind of lo- looking at the, the baseline of what this team was last year, frankly, I think they should they should have uh, beat the Chiefs on the road in the AFC title game last year. Just the way the game was folding up until you know Chris Jones made an incredible play to get the stop, and Patrick Mahomes, you know, they said put on a Superman cape and ran for that big first down with the penalty. After that, I think the Bengals had more than enough chances and should have won that game they played the Chiefs better than anyone in football, and uh, you know they were only on the road because Burrow was coming off an appendectomy and really wasn't himself for the first two weeks of last season. So this is a Bengals team that I think is entering the year expecting themselves to be the
1: best team in the AFC. He's Charlie Goldsmith with the Cincinnati Enquirer. I'm just thinking with the the star power in Cincinnati now. Who are the most popular guys? If you go one, two, three, if you think about Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, you expand it to like a fan favorite like Joey Votto or what Ellie De La Cruz has been able to do. Like who are the top three fan favorites as it stands right now in that city?
0: It's a tough question. If I were to rank them, I would say Burrow, Chase, Ellie. Um, there's just something about the NFL, even though Cincinnati's a baseball town. And Cincinnati, the Reds are a team that has, had success, made some playoffs. They won a World Series in 1990. The Bengals, before Burrow, hadn't even won a playoff game in 31 years. So the way that Burrow has changed the entire perception of the Bengals as an organization and as an entity in the city of Cincinnati and turned them into something cool, something, you know, a lot of teams are. You know, wishing they could have the core and the personality that the Bengals have. The way that Burrow has led that process, I think, has that number one. Jamar, you know, it's Jamar and Joe. But, hey, Ellie, it's you know, Burrow is unbelievable. But Ellie is probably a little better at doing something every night you've never seen before. Um, so that's kind of his his case. You know, everyone loves Votto as well. But it's a good sign of how things are going in Cincinnati.
1: How about, like, an off-the-wall fan favorite? I just randomly thought about John Kuhn with the Packers. Remember the old fullback where it was like, Kuhn! Mm-hmm. And all- is there a non-star fan favorite right now in Cincinnati? Yes, and
0: you guys know him well in Indianapolis. I believe he still lives there. Center Ted Karras. Yeah. He is, he is this, like, spark of energy and enthusiasm and personality and fun and he changed the entire mentality of the bengals offensive line which was the massive weakness in all of football um before they started to turn it around last season ted karras has a hat company and they like sell out of hats now they're like cincy hats with you know the the name on the front of the hat and they're the most popular thing in the city right now you walk around downtown and you see 10 cincy hats every day Uh, so people really respond to that guy and definitely a fan favorite (laughs)
1: That's awesome, man. Um, What what do you see the career ceiling being for Ellie De La Cruz, who's off to just a sensational start?
0: So before he got called up, I talked to a lot of baseball people, with the Reds, outside the Reds, people I really trust. And the names you heard were Barry Bonds, Ken Griffey Jr., you heard them saying he could be the best player in baseball. And then since he got called up, I know he's in a little bit more of a slump now, but frankly, he's exceeded my expectations for the way he gets the game, the way he approaches the game, the way he impacts every single game, even when he's not getting a ton of hits. Frankly, Ellie is a better player now than he has any right to be for a 21-year-old rookie shortstop and has me thinking he could be even better than maybe people were projecting and the projections were already so high. He's just a transcendent, phenomenal athlete you know the way he you know this love of the game that he plays with they say his joy and enthusiasm is just as impressive as his power and his speed so for all those reasons he's really the cornerstone of fourth the are building
1: okay i want you to put your cincinnati allegiance to the side here charlie and be honest with me if i gave you a hundred thousand dollars out of the goodness of my heart and said you get a free roll you got to pick the eventual winner of the nl central this year who are you putting that money on
0: I think the Brewers, I think they have more correctable and more easy to correct holes at the trade deadline. For example, like I think it's going to be much more attainable and realistic for the Brewers to upgrade their lineup and take a step forward uh, to kind of get them over the top than I think it's going to be for the Reds to upgrade their pitching staff and get them over the top. The Reds do have one of the better lineups in baseball right now. What's going to need to happen is their young starting pitchers, you know, Green and Ladola need to get healthy. Ashcraft and Abbott need to keep getting even better. Williamson needs to keep getting even better. Those are probably easier asks for the Brewers to take those steps. Um, They have Woodruff coming back as well. So for those reasons, I'd say the Brewers. But I also think it's pretty close.
1: There you go, man. Great stuff, Charlie. I'm gonna try a uh, grilled cheese sandwich on a glazed donut. I gotta check that off the. Yeah, I'll definitely check that off the uh, the list and then report back to you if you agree to try grilled cheese with ham and tomato on it as well. We got a deal. We got it. Beautiful, Charlie. Have a good day, man. Thanks for your time. Thank you. All right, there he is. Charlie Goldsmith covers the Reds and Bengals for the Cincinnati Inquirer. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you. I'm Brian No, He's Eddie Garrison here on The Fan. I want to welcome in James Boyd, Colts writer for The Athletic, joining us here today. You know, James, starting to heat up over there at camp. Uh, you have any uh, savvy ways of dealing with the heat while you're out there covering the Colts?
2: To be honest, I'm still learning. I had the bucket hat today. I had sunscreen on. I felt pretty good from that standpoint. But everyone was wet from the fans (laughs) to the coaches to the videographers to the reporters to the players. It was very, very hot here in Westfield, but still a great atmosphere
1: overall. Man, have you ever had that, that sticky, hot training camp day where you start to think, do I stink right now? Has it gotten to that level? Yeah, I honestly
2: was thinking that when I was walking back in. I was like, you know what, everyone in here is sweaty. So we probably can't smell each other just yet, but as soon as I get in my own car and I'm by myself, I'm like, man, you stink. So a shower, <laughs> I'm the first uh, uh, thing to do when I get home.
1: <laughs> man, I hear you. I absolutely hear you. How about, what's, uh, what's on your crystal ball there when it comes to Jonathan Taylor, his contract situation going forward, when you see the running back market being what it is?
2: I don't think he has any leverage. I don't think he gains any leverage by not being available right now. When people are kind of speculating like, is this another ploy to hold out or hold in? And either way, I just don't see the end result being what he'd like it to be, which is a long-term lucrative deal for a running back. Now, the Colts, I'm sure, have offered him deals, but obviously, he hasn't accepted them. I don't think they're going to feel inclined to really reset the market for him or anything like that, because again, it's a running back, and they have this season as they're on the rookie deal. They can tag him next year, and then after that, they can say, hey, you know what? AR is our guy, and we'll just feel good about moving on with him without you. So um, we'll see how it plays out. But I still think that the Colts have the upper hand, and they have no real incentive to offer him a contract extension right now.
1: Yeah, it's wild. Like, I- I'm just curious where it goes from here, because if Jonathan Taylor stays with the Colts, what we know is it's not going to be a monster deal. We just know what the market is. But I'm trying to connect the dots of, do you think he's here beyond this year? And if so, it's just a complete market value type deal, that sort of thing?
2: Yeah, I think he is here beyond this year. It's just, do they use the tag? And even though the tag will increase a little bit next year, it's not like it's going to break the bank. And so um, I think running backs overall are kind of in this no man's land where you're not going to get what you want and you're kind of just stuck in a place where the league has changed and sort of left you behind. I mean, I don't know if it's going to get to the point of, like, phasing out running backs, but fullbacks probably feel some some kin to this because they kind of went through it before.
1: It's so crazy to me, too, James, because, like, you look at the amount of touches some of these guys have where Josh Jacobs with the Raiders, he had just under 50% of the touches last year. He led the league in rushing. If you look at Saquon Barkley, he talked about maybe holding out, and that lasted for a few days and he signed his deal and got $900,000 in incentives. You know, he had 41% of the touches last year. He's made a big difference with Daniel Jones, the numbers that he puts up with Saquon without Saquon. It's just crazy to me that the market is where it is when running backs touches wise and production wise, they're still greatly valued. It's wild to me they're greatly
2: valued early on in their career before the data suggests that they wind down. And I think the one thing they you have to keep in mind with JT is he's had two really good seasons, one, obviously, great season, record setting season, all pro season, but he's coming off an injury. He's not, you know, available right now as far as the injury watch goes. And then on top of that, he had a ton of carries at Wisconsin. Yeah. And I don't know if you don't count stats from college, but you do count carries from college as far as just the politics in your body. So, from the coaching perspective, they might think that he's an older 24-year-old than actually being 24.
1: Do you think that enters the uh, the talks when you're negotiating? Do you think the Colts bring that up? Or at least, I'm sure they think that. Do you think they bring that up, though?
2: Absolutely. Now, I'm not saying they bring it up directly to him. I'm sure he has representation in there kind of advocating for him. But at the end of the day, you're only as good as what your last season was, and for them hey, you're coming off an injury, didn't have a great season, and then they're going to use whatever they can to build on top of whatever leverage they have. So I'm sure they'll bring up the amount of carries you had in college, the running back market itself. I mean, Chris Ballard said it yesterday. The market is what the market is. He didn't say, I'm going to break the bank for this guy. I'm going to change the things for this guy. He said he lo- enjoys him. He's pleasant to be around, you know, great player. But none of that ultimately ended with him saying, we're going to reward to get this done. He kind of was keeping it noncommittal, like he'll be here. But how he'll be here is remains to be seen, whether it's the tag and extension or no extension at all.
1: Yeah, no doubt. He's James Boyd, Colts writer for The Athletic, joining us here on The Fan. Well, we were uh, Speaking of Chris Ballard, he made some comments about really liking the tight end room. And if you look at uh, Jelani Woods, wh- what kind of jump do you think you see from him statistically? If you ballpark the yards, the touchdown grabs, when you consider it's... Predominantly a rookie quarterback and Anthony Richardson. When you factor that in there, what do you see in terms of potential yards and touchdowns from Jelani this year?
2: Yeah, I would love to be able to say I, I say it's a thousand yards and five touchdowns, and it's like, <laughs> nah, I don't think that's going to be the case. So he had 25 receptions for 312 last year and three touchdowns. Ideally, you'd like to see those numbers increase. I don't know about how much more because there are going to be a run-heavy offense. I guess we've got a glimpse of that today out here at camp. But I would ballpark it at maybe. You know, if he's tight in one, you know, 500 yards and, again, three to four touchdowns, I don't expect to do a lot of passing touchdowns this year, um, particularly for tight ends or really anybody on the roster just because they're going to be very run-heavy, I assume. Mm-hmm. But I would expect to see, if he's tight in one, you want to see at least 500 yards and at least three to four touchdowns, and hopefully more if you get down there in the red zone, he's just kind of that big-body target,
1: that's that perpetual missus. I think that's fair. I think you you're pretty much right on the money on that one. How about uh, JT? Let's do like predict the numbers with James Boyd over here. How about JT? What do you think in terms of a bounce back season, running the ball, touchdowns wise? What do you think with JT here?
2: So he's coming off obviously a down season, one where he missed his game due to injury. Not his best year, obviously. I believe it was the first time he actually missed a game for injury in his entire life. He missed one for COVID as a rookie, but you know, after running for eight sixty-one last year, I would assume that he'd be ideally in like the twelve hundred or more range is a, is a good season for a back. J.P. is good enough where I could see him if the offensive line gets itself together and is not like anything they were last year. Fifteen hundred is, is probably the threshold to determine if he's having a great season, and it would help him a lot, obviously. Um, to just prove that he's healthy, I don't know if it's going to gain him much leverage, but it obviously wouldn't help him to have a bad season. I think it hurts him more to have a bad season than it helps him to have a good season, if that makes sense. That's, and yeah. so, um, I you hope that he gets 15 touch, uh, 1500 yards, and then also he gets back in the end zone like he was prior to last season. I don't know, last year it was only four touchdowns, and that was the first time in his career he had failed to crack, you know, 10 rushing touchdowns in a season. So. You want to see him get 1500
1: yards and I think 10 touchdowns. Uh, yeah, you know, it's crazy because you probably saw the comments of Nick Chubb, and he was right on the money where he was like, the thing that stands out the most to me, if we have a great season, it actually hurts us negotiating-wise because they're like, ah you're a step closer to breaking down. That It's wild, right? You could have a great year, and it could be the worst thing for you dollars and cents-wise. I, I still can't make... Uh, makes sense yeah, of that. But that's where we're at. It's a
2: catch twenty two. Like you said, it's either, you know, you're breaking down, like they could say, if you come back this year you're hurt. Oh, we saw signs of that last year, your damage good, but if you come back and have a great season and you took the ball a ton, they're gonna be like, All right, we got one more great season out of you, but next year you're gonna break down. So yeah. they're in a lose lose situation and I just don't think it'll change very much because you look at leave the highest running back contract. This offseason with Miles Sanders out there in uh, Carolina, you got four years for, so I believe, $25 million, which isn't Man. a ton of money, and I don't think there was a huge guaranteed amount in that deal either. So the days of seeing these running backs get to, you know, five years, 75, or whatever it is, I don't know if we're going to see that 16, 15, even 14-year, I mean, a mil- million a year annually income um, for the foreseeable future.
1: Man, now we got to predict the, uh, the numbers for Anthony Richardson here. Because this is the toughest one, right? We don't know how many starts he's going to have. But you throw that into the equation, and I'm just looking at some of these rookie numbers from a couple of years ago, and they're not sexy, James. You look at uh, the the highly touted draft class with uh, remember Trevor Lawrence and all these guys. Yeah. Where Trevor Lawrence had twelve touchdowns, seventeen picks. Zach Wilson nine touchdowns, eleven picks. Justin Fields seven touchdowns, ten picks. All of them, but Mac Jones had more interceptions than touchdowns. With that in the backdrop, how would you predict like yards, touchdowns, picks for Anthony Richardson? Yeah,
2: so I guess we can start with pitch. I expect him to be in the double digits just because he hasn't seen like a lot of defenses. He hasn't played a lot of football compared to other, you know, players who are coming in at that position. And I think all of oh, them are going to struggle and have their ups and downs. Like I'm not saying that Bryce is going to be, you know, the best thing since sliced bread. He's probably pretty good, but I think that Rich is going to have his ups and downs. Um, and so I would say, you know, if he starts every game and they run the ball a lot, I could see him having like thirteen interceptions or something like that,
0: uh-huh. and
2: maybe ten touchdown passes. I don't. I don't think it'll be one of those things where he has more touchdowns and interceptions per se. Um, he could, but I think that he'll have more overall touchdowns interceptions, just passing touchdowns. Like I think with him being a dual threat mm-hmm. capability, there are some chances where he could, you know, score seven touchdowns rushing or something like that because he has that capability, and so. Let's say maybe he's at 20 total touchdowns and he throws 13 interceptions. And, um, you know, I'm just in the pass for 5,000 yards, but, you know, let's say 2,200 or something, because I think they're going to be very, very Mm -hmm. run heavy and very, very just kind of old school in that sense, because he doesn't have it all together just now. And even though he's great at the deep ball, things like that, the way you keep drives alive is, making those intermediate throws, which is kind of what he struggled with throughout, you know, OTAs and training camp. We didn't see much of that today because he probably threw the ball at all, um, which should be an indication for the future. But um, I'm excited to see him. But I think that he'll be, uh, again, in that 20 touchdown overall range, 13, 14 interceptions. Could it be more than that? Sure. Could it be less than that? Sure. But um, I think for them, they just want to see signs that by the seasons end, kind of like he was in college, like he had a bunch of interceptions through the first half of the season. In the second half, he kind of figured it out that last year at Florida. So, um, that's what you want to see for the Colts.
1: Yeah, no, good stuff, man. I think you're ballparking it uh, pretty well. What's the most random stat from the Colts last season that you have memorized? You're just throwing out Jelani Woods, like catches, <laughs> receiving yards. What is, what's at the top of the list for you?
2: I mean, the biggest one is just the 60 sacks they gave up. And I guess the weirdest one I got off the top of my head is they gave up the actual most stack of yards. Last year, like most yards lost in sacks, I believe it was 422, if I'm correct. So, ideally, you'd want your offensive line to not give up that many sacks, that many lost yards, and um, keep Anderson upright so that he can be um, someone who progresses and they can see what he is and evaluate, you know, is he the guy to really, truly build this franchise around.
1: No, great stuff, James. Well, hey, man, hope you stay cool out there and appreciate your time as always. Good to catch up with you.
2: Appreciate it, man. It's been exciting. You know, Shaq is back out here practicing. So the vibes are good in indie so far. But um, obviously, there's going to be some ups and downs, some hot takes from me because that's what I do, man. I can't, I can't wait enough.
1: <laughs> well, 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 hold on. Like, if you got a quick hot take for us, uh, we'll take one. You got anything? I mean,
2: see, uh, Dallas Flowers had the potential to be the best cornerback on the Colts this year. Okay. There you go. That's one for you. I think that I'm really high on him. His confidence level is really good. Really athletic guy. Um, good ball skills. I think that he's, he could be a guy that surprises a lot of people. And because he hasn't doesn't have like the hype of the you know, top pick as far as Julius Brent is or the veteran leadership that Kenny Moore has, but I think that he could have an outside chance in this scheme of being the best cornerback on the roster this season.
1: Very nice, man. We'll let you run, James. We'll catch you soon, man. Have a good day. All right, I appreciate it. Have a good one. All right, you too. There he is, James Boyd, Colts writer for The Athletic.